I'm Stephen Downey and you're very welcome to episode 16 of the Mindful Living Guide. In this week's episode, I get to talk to an amazing person from the west of Ireland called Darren Cawley. He has been through so much adversity in his life, but he has managed to reframe and rethink about the person he is and the difference that he can make in people's lives and in term that he calls being useful. It is a great episode and I really, really hope you enjoy it. Before we jump to the episode, I need to tell you about something very, very special happening this week. It is our first live meditation practice on Insight Timer. So if you are a user of the Insight Timer meditation app, if you look up Stephen Downey or Mindful Living Guide on the app, you will see our live session coming up this Sunday at 8pm Irish and UK time. So that's 8pm on the 14th of March. I really hope you can join us and check it out. But for now, I really hope you can sit back and enjoy this episode of The Mindful Living Guide. This week we're really treated. We've got a international speaker a past recipient of Mayo Person of the Year, who has spoken to many audience, including the European Parliament. But above all that, our uh, speaker today, Darren Cawley, has been in hospital over 1,800 times. He is a double transplant uh, uh, recipient, and, but he's also one of the happiest and healthiest people you might ever meet. Uh, Darren has also gone on to represent our country in athletics at the transport game. Darren Cawley, you are so welcome to the Mindful Living Guide. Pleasure, absolute pleasure, Stephen. It's great to chat with you again. Listen, I, I met you uh, last year in Mayo and we had some great conversations and I just knew that you have the li- type of life lessons that really help people uh, in many aspects of their life. Um, so before we start, do you want to give just an introduction for people who, who don't know you uh, just about yourself? Well, Darren, yeah, Darren Cawley is my name. I live here in the west of Ireland in Westport, as you'll know, is the best place to live in Ireland. And I'm very lucky during lockdown to live near the sea. Uh, recently, I've started getting into the Atlantic Ocean every day, which has been a real, really big challenge, especially wow. in the snow and ice. But we've we've kind of got through that. Uh, I'm married here with two children, two little boys, Earl and Keelan, and my wife, Aoife. And um, well, in terms of work and that, I kind of have two jobs in a way. I work obviously as a speaker and educator in terms of adversity and overcoming adversity. And the other job then is my family have buses and taxis. So I'm, I, I waffle a lot in that regard in that I give tours of this, you know, the local West of Ireland landscape. So two areas I really enjoy, but uh, both have been kind of stopped for the last year, which has given me an opportunity to work and kind of create and, you know, other things in life. So yeah, I'm very happy here in the West of Ireland. I, I love living here. And uh, it's certainly not too much of a burden to be in lockdown here. Oh, I, I can well believe it. I, I remember my, my trip to Westport and the scenery is just spectacular. It's unbelievable. Yeah. The, uh, Darren, I'm going to take you back a good few years. Um, I know that when you were younger, you were sports mad. Uh, you, you loved sports and it led on to, um, to studying in London, if I'm right. That's correct, yeah. I growing up I kind of had two timetables one was sport and one was school because I did boxing rugby Gaelic soccer handball racquetball you know I've kind of titles in boxing and handball so I was kind of very sporty young fella 
So the only thing I wanted to do in college was sport. So I ended up going to, well, more North London, Luton, the University of Bedfordshire, where I was doing a degree in sports and fitness studies. And that was going fantastic. Great friends. We set up a Gaelic team in the college. You know, I was getting on really well, passed all my exams. But in the second year, I started to get a lot of kind of headaches and blurred vision. And I went to a doctor who fobbed me off because they thought I was trying to get out of my exams, which, of course, I was trying to get out of my exams. But I was being sincere. It was an optician that sent me to the hospital. He saw something in my eyes that was not good. And I went to an ER room in Luton. And after about two or three minutes, I got taken in to see a doctor, even though there was 40 people in the queue in front of me. And they did a load of tests, couldn't really figure it out until somebody checked my blood pressure. And it was, I think, 180 over 119. So they kind of figured out something is very wrong here. I was in danger of having a stroke, is what they thought. My blood pressure was so high, it was popping blood vessels in my eyes. So that'll give you an idea of how bad it was. So after three or four days, uh, numerous tests and biopsies, they came back and said, we're very sorry, you've got chronic end-stage renal failure. Like, I didn't worry at that stage because I'd never heard of any of them words before. I didn't know what that meant. And then he kind of hit me with the bombshell, your kidneys are failing. And within a few days, I was on what was new thing to me then, dialysis. So the whole story is I went from a healthy sports and fitness study student to someone with a serious chronic long-term illness in less than in less than 10 days. Wow. And my life changed, you know, unbelievably. I started going into hospital every two days. Transition from just a, a normal sporting life in college and then suddenly, bam, you're hit with this. Absolutely. And it wasn't that I was doing uh, history or business. You know, I was studying sports. Like my whole ego, my whole personality was kind of built around I'm a sports person I'm going to have a career in sports my life is sports orientated all my friends were through sport and suddenly that was just taken away from me so that was your whole, a, your whole identity had to, had to change my whole identity yes yeah so then if you bring it forward and you you obviously you, you've been on the you were on dialysis for a, a while and then you um you're brought forward for a transplant then after that yeah well this I've had two transplants believe it or not I came back to Ireland after I finished college I had a basic degree in sports, which I had no interest in, but I got a transplant very quickly. I assumed I could put that life behind me. Whatever happened back there in England, I can forget about it now. I'm home in Ireland. I've got a transplant. I can get on with the rest of my life. Unfortunately, the transplant only lasted a year and a half, less than two years. Mm -hmm. And I had to have it removed, which was not a nice experience because the next day I was back on dialysis and I would stay on dialysis for nine years. So it was nine years then before I got my next transplant. So yeah, a difficult, a difficult time. All my twenties and early thirties were spent in and out of the hospital and all the limitations that that entailed. Wow. And like for anyone that knows you now, um, someone who has gone through that experience, it's, it's obviously going to be a, a big impact on them, but you've managed to bring a lot of resilience into this and, um, you've kind of pushed through it and, and you're, you're a very optimistic person and you can tell that in anyone that has ever heard you speak. Um, can you tell us a bit that what, what changed? That, what, how did you see this positive outlook in life and what changed for you? Yeah, it's very easy, I guess, for me to say, oh, I just became a better person and I read a few books and, you know, there's several, several factors. And 
it didn't happen overnight. And I think w- when you go through a, a trauma as such, you, you don't just recover overnight. These things take time and they're supposed to take time. Like we're supposed to work through them bit by bit, step by step. For me, it was quite unconscious, really. I started reading books on dialysis because I had all this free time and I would only read nonfiction. So reading became a really big deal to me. You know, I read some fantastic books that sort of shaped my outlook because I couldn't travel to America for the summer. I couldn't do railing across Europe. So many things I couldn't do. So I often lived through books, I guess. I learned what was possible. I tried to educate myself a bit. So books was one thing. Sport was enormous because uh, we have what's called the the European Transplant and Dialysis Games. And I got to go to one of these games you know, while on dialysis. And I went there as a sick person. I went there as someone who had, you know, I have kidney failure. I'm in a hospital three days a week with people in their 60s and 70s. They were my role models as such. But when I went to the games, I saw all these young people with kidney disease too. And for the first time I seen, wow, look at them. They're winning races, they're running, they're cycling, they're doing all this stuff that I didn't think was possible because my frame of reference was older people on dialysis. So that was an enormous transformation. I stopped seeing myself as a sick person and saw myself as a healthy person with certain health issues. So that transformation was, I think, the biggest, biggest thing. You know, you hear the word Stephen Covey, a paradigm shift. You know, that's what happened at the game for me. So between sport and exercise, going to these games, uh, reading positive books, that's how the transformation began over time. Wow. And it's, it's, it's amazing how just being inspired by those type of role models, um, it shifted and reframed your, your thinking altogether. So obviously yeah. role models like that have been a, a big part of your life then. Role models have been an enormous part of my life, yeah. Because I met people there, young people, married with kids, uh, full-time jobs, some of them were business owners and all these. I didn't think that this was possible. You know, I was used to being in the hospital with the other patients And you'd see them looking at me kind of sadly because they were all older. They had lived their life. They had careers. They had families. And they just looked sad at me. And I suppose I bought into that. I was a victim of chance in that I'm a victim and that I have kidney disease and poor me and my poor out. I had a very negative attitude because I knew nothing better. It was only through the kind of transformation of meeting people with the same illness and not seeing it as an illness. That was the key thing. It was just one aspect of your life, not to be defined by kidney disease and you know when you couple that with reading positive books and I think around that time you know two or three years into dialysis I started using affirmations which became a big part of my life so I was rewiring my brain from this sick unhealthy limited person to a totally different person and that again like when you talk about resilience that took time and eventually you know I slowly became a very positive proactive outgoing person it's amazing what you're saying. You, like it's, it's, it's absolutely important for people to realize that changes like this, they don't happen overnight, that it's a yes. gradual, consistent practice. And um, affirmations is, is a powerful thing that a lot of people do. And for anyone who, who doesn't understand affirmations, it's, it's, a, it's a positive phrase that we might say every day and repeat to ourselves. But we're saying it in the, in the present sense that it's already happened. Um, so what, what type of affirmations would you have said to yourself in those days? Then if, if, if you can remember okay, back, well, so let's bring that one on. I, not at all. I still say them. I know I, it takes about a minute and a half for me to say my affirmations. It's not just one 
it's it's several different ones that I built over time. It started with a kind of on not a course I did here in the west of Ireland by an English gentleman who lived in South Africa. It was called MindLink, and it was very much kind of Eastern philosophy with science combined. So I really enjoyed the course. But one part of it was affirmations, and his affirmations. The first four were "I am," which is you know present tense focused. I am happy and healthy. I am honest and loving. I am confident and courageous. I am decisive and enthusiastic. So that's where it all started, and I used to say that a lot. And then I kept going. There was other things I wanted to be. And where's the next one? Then energetic and imaginative. I want to be more energy because I'm dialysis. I was conscious and proactive. I am kind of, I have a successful transplant. You know, I started saying all these positive attributes. So that was the first part, I am. And then the next bit was, I had a health affirmation for positive health, which was from an Indian kind of, what's the name of the Ayurvedic book I read. Oh yeah, Ayurveda, yeah. Ayurveda, yeah. And it was every molecule, every cell, every tissue of my beautiful body constantly renews itself in perfect health wow. so that was another one i used to say three times and then i give thanks because after love gratitude is the next highest form of emotion supposedly so i was uh thank you god for bringing you know motivation and success to my life thank you god for bringing wisdom knowledge and learning thank you god for bringing a successful transplant you know i go on like that and then of course love i love god i love me i love life i love family i love my inner peace and i love my health when you add all them up, it takes about a minute because I say some things three times, but I really bought into the affirmations and it created over time again, created a very positive shift because I wasn't feeling the things I was saying at the time. Yeah. People kind of will, will say like that's, oh, I'm, I'm in this side of situation now and I'm, how will I ever get there? And sometimes you just have to imagine that you've already gone there. We might know how we're going to get to the very end but we can take those little steps and it's just about changing that mindset and you you've said it already about rewiring your brain and rewiring, studies yeah. have shown that meditation uh, affirmations like this they literally do rewire the parts of your brain that um like the, the parts that look after kind of our our fight or flight or negative responses they shrink when we do this and the parts that look after your parasympathetic uh, oh geez i'm <laughs> gone tongue-tied enough but the yeah. um that they look out after our rest and digest kind of system that they grow bigger and bigger. And it's obviously had a, a massive impact on you. And you, you went on then to, to teach about this and to, to speak to many people in, in, in the pharmaceutical industry and in the, um, yes. in the dialysis uh, the community as well. Yeah. Speaking became another life-changing event, totally unplanned because I was a very shy person. Even when I went to college, all my modules were picked. And if you had to speak in front of the class, I didn't do that module because I had such a fear of public speaking. But I joined what's called the Lions Club here in Westport. So they're very, it's the biggest service organization in the world. So the Lions Club I joined. And because I'd often raise money for the Kidney Association, I didn't really want to go around looking for raising money for other things. So they said, what about going into schools, giving talks? And the talks were about donor awareness. And then they changed to kind of overcoming adversity because I felt, you know, at the teacher's concept, you're giving great advice here. As you know, as a speaker, it's not your story that's important. It's the lessons from your story that can help and impact the other people there to create that kind of transformation in thinking. So the speaking became a massively important uh, element of the whole thing. I, even lately, I'm thinking about it here now and why I started speaking. It it really wasn't initially to help other people. 
although although that was the kind of outward appearance, but it was to show myself that I didn't go through all the pain, the suffering, the loss. I didn't go through it for nothing in that I was useful. When I stood up talking, I could have an impact. I was a useful person again because you lose your identity. You become a sick person. And I very I struggled greatly with that initially. But to know that pain had a purpose, you know, by helping other people, I had a purpose. And the speaking really grew out of that. I was very lucky to be asked to speak at the European Parliament. And that was a great experience. And I met a lot of pharmaceutical heads there and patient organizations. And next thing I've been invited to, uh, to, to Paris and to Sweden, to Prague, to Germany. And the speaking kind of sideline for me really began there. And it's, it's certainly a passion that I love so much now. And I see, say you've, you've seen a massive impact and difference in the people that you've talked to as well um, that from the different communities or different pharmaceutical industries that um, I think I might have seen you before that when you were talking to a, a pharmaceutical industry that you can project that human side to it. So that there's a lot of people that obviously work in that industry that mightn't realize the difference that they're making to people's lives. And I, from, you, from your speaking, you've obviously spoke to them about that side as well. Yeah, well, I feel now what I do is that I kind of bring their mission and vision to life. I humanize the product. Like you have companies in Ireland. We've got all the big pharma companies here, and I've spoken to several of them. But the people who go in there, they're going in there for a paycheck. They do the same job every day. They get bored. They get lazy. They just no motivation. There's no kind of intrinsic motivation. But when they see me and all the scars and my journey and they kind of go, oh, wow. So what actually I make, what's going through my hands today ends up inside a person or connected to a person. And that's very humbling to know that I'm alive today only because of the work of the pharmaceutical industry and the healthcare industry. Right? That's the only reason I'm alive. If my grandfather got kidney failure at 20, he'd be dead at 21 back in the 50s and 60s. You know, so there's that legacy of creativity within that industry, the pharma and healthcare industry that people forget they don't seem to realize what life was like 50 and 100 years ago if you got sick you died whereas now i'm alive today i have two kids i'm active within my community i feel like i'm having an impact on the world in my own way and all that's possible because of the work that that one person does every day within the industry and to know that to know that every product is in fact a person really creates this intrinsic mo motivation for the staff there so they're not just working for a paycheck or to impress their boss they're actually working to a higher purpose which is giving good health to tens of thousands of people around ireland and the world wow it's, that's how i frame it anyway and it's, it's, it's you know, I, at the end of a talk just taking it all in because it's, it's yeah such... at the end of a talk i say thank you because i mean it i am alive because of the work you're doing so do a good job keep it up wow it's like it, it is amazing and it's like it's, it's just i i'm blown away by the way that you you can humanize it as well for people that like it's like you said at the start where you you felt like you were losing your purpose in life when all this changed for you but you were able to reframe it and like you said make yourself useful again and find yeah. a new identity a new purpose that uh, outside sport that you were you're changing an impact in lives which is amazing and yeah. i know we, we talked about this before that meditation has been um, a part of your journey all the way through and um can you talk to me about how, how that has come into your journey yeah well i've done a lot of courses and i've read a lot of books on mindfulness and on meditation and 
I'm still not, I couldn't give you a definition of mindfulness yet because it, it changes all the time. Even now with lockdown, every evening, I have two kids, I'm minding them kind of full time with my wife who works. So I go for a walk every night now, just by myself, usually with a podcast. I go along by the sea. So you turn off the podcast, you hear the music. And now that's mindfulness in motion. You know, it's not the traditional sitting around listening to something, you know, but certainly while I was on dialysis, I got into classical music and music from the movies, kind of movie scores. And I'd sit down, turn on the music and just do nothing, you know, and it, I just felt it really balanced me and kept me into a, a very relaxed place, which for me was mindfulness. It has to be a kind of useful end to it, you know, that I could tangibly feel, all right, I feel way better now. And I, I like anyone with kidney disease is generally on blood pressure tablets. And I wasn't on any blood pressure tablets. I felt because... I was doing this mindful, what's called mindfulness for me, it was sitting back doing nothing, relaxing, listening to music. And at different times, I have used actual meditations where I'd, again, it started with this mindling course that I did many, many years ago, where you kind of left brain, right brain, there was a bit of science behind it, which I loved, but essentially you're finding going down into a deeper place, kind of into your own peaceful scene from nature. And while you're in that peaceful scene, you are working on yourself. So in there, I would do my affirmations with the river flowing beside me, the grass, you know, the flowers waving. I had a beautiful scene from nature, a woodland in the distance. And these things had a very, very positive. It's not tangible as such that you can't explain to somebody how they helped. But for me, it certainly brought me to a peaceful place because I was in hospital surroundings so often. There wasn't a positive place. You know, you see people going into cardiac arrest in the bed next to you. You see trails of blood along the floor where someone's needle might have popped out of their arm. There's so many things I saw that were not positive and you had to remove yourself from that environment. And sometimes the easiest way to do it was, you know, the music in my case are doing your meditations and just stepping away, stepping inside, I guess. So yeah, it's been a big part of my life. Absolutely mindfulness, yeah. So it's kind of bringing a, a, a balance to to the to life as well, and kind of giving giving you that kind of that time to just pause and reflect and just bring awareness to whatever is going on at the time. It's uh, yeah, and I know you you've moved on in recent times to sea swimming and uh, someone that I I think I mentioned before in the podcast called Wim Hof, which is a very different type of meditation. Uh, can you tell me a bit about your Wim Hof experience? Yeah, because. I'm the type of person that loves new things, new experiences. You know, we're, we're here on this world to experience things, not to gather things. You know, I'm, I'm into the, the experience side of things. So I saw a YouTube clip of some guy named Wim Hof and it was unbelievable. And it is unbelievable, you know, getting into ice water for long times, uh, climbing in your bare feet up a mountain with snow. It's just, it, that's not possible, you know. So like most things I said, I test drive it. You know, I got the book for Christmas off my wife, Aoife. And I started doing the breathing exercises. And one of his things is when you do 30 or 40 of his deep breaths, fully in, let it go. He's a very distinctive accent. And I started doing press-ups on the final breath. So you breathe out and you hold your breath and you start doing press-ups. Now, I could normally, I wouldn't be very strong. I could normally do 15, 20 press-ups. And suddenly I was doing 40 without breathing in one breath, 40. I'm up to 50 now. And that just blew me away. That's that again to me is unbelievable but when you do it it's no longer unbelievable and a lot of coincidences or synchronicities came into play on the 1st of February it was my birthday 
And on the 10th of February, I was 10 years transplanted. And I was thinking about getting into the water on the 1st of February, but I just hadn't worked up the, the courage to do it. When at four o'clock that day, a friend and neighbor rang me and said, I'm thinking of doing the Freezebury challenge. Have you any interest in it? And sure, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah. I had an accountability partner to come with me. And the two of us went down at eight o'clock in the pitch dark and got into the Atlantic Ocean for the first time. And it was not pleasant at all. It's so, so cold. And since then, I've kind of reframed it again to positive, but I framed it in terms of pain and exhilaration. Right. So the water is painful getting in, but it's exhilarating when you get out. And it's very similar to getting a transplant. Now, somebody has lost their loved one. And I have received their, you know, their kidney, their transplant. I've got a transplant. So they're going through the worst, worst time in their life imaginable. They're going through horrible, horrible pain, emotional pain. And I'm about to go through the best kind of experience in my life, getting a transplant, getting the gift of life. So I felt exhilaration. And I thought for the 10 days up to until I got the transplant on the 10th, which was 10 years earlier, I'd get into the sea every day for them 10 days to kind of mark that kind of milestone for me. And pain and exhilaration both kind of mirrored what I was feeling, what I was thinking very, very well. And we've kept going, to be honest. I'm still doing it. I just got out a half an hour ago there. And it's it's still hard to get into the water, but it's you just know you can do it. Again, it's like resilience is often best looked at backwards. Look at the previous experience you have. Look at how you overcame and survived them. And look at how you're a stronger person because of you because you did it, because you took action. So every day I'm getting into the sea. Uh, we're looking at getting ice baths now to get into the actual ice baths because, again, I have a self-belief there that I can do it because of the experience of getting into the water in the snow. We actually got into the water in the snow and in the ice, minus seven wind chill some days, and in we got. So I'm very, I guess, very proud of myself. But it's been something that's been a, a wonderful journey the last two months, month and a half. Wow, it's 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 unbelievable. I I had one dip in the water like that. Um, a few years back, I was on a retreat with uh, with Pat Dively in Galway. Ah, and, yes, uh, yes. Pat is big into Wim Hof, and we did we did all the practice and the breathing and all that. And then suddenly he said, "Hey, why why don't we all go and jump in the in the ocean now?" This was in late November, and uh, when we got down to the strand, um, there was ice all over the all over the ground. So we had, oh, wow. and the shelters were on your side. So we kind of we stripped down into our swimming gear and we tried to tiptoe across the <laughs> the icy path to try and get into water. But like you said, it once we got in, wow, it was just a rush. Yeah of um i don't know if it was just adrenaline or what it was but it was it was just a beautiful beautiful feeling and um it's something a lot of people really really swear by it's um absolutely now in my case i think in most people's cases you're you're swimming for your mind first and your body second there's great physiological reasons why you should get into cold water but it's the sense of achievement it's the sense of camaraderie really with other people it's become a huge thing during lockdown in westport here there's a huge amount of people getting into the water every day and there's going to be we're going to end up having festivals we're going to be going to different parts we're going to be going to westport for one month and maybe there'll be another every year there might be a kind of cold water kind of festival i can imagine we'll go to the 40 foot or we go to scaries we'll go to cork yeah it's definitely a thing that's built such momentum over lockdown that it's going to continue because i i guess like we spoke together at an event and because of that we have a shared experience so we'll always have a connection that we can can look to 
And now with the cold water therapy and getting into the cold water, I feel I have friends all over Ireland that do the same thing. And we have a connection and we look forward to meeting, sharing our experiences. Fantastic. It's uh, it's something I want to get more. I'm, I'm a bit from the coast, so it's, uh, it's yeah. more difficult for me to do, but it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely something I'd like to experience more. And um, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And it's great that you've built a community around it, which makes it Absolutely. not just account, one or two accountability partners, but an actual community, which is fantastic. It's a community. The, yeah. um, Darren, there's one thing I ask all of my guests every time they come on. And um, I'm really interested to find out how you <laughs> feel about if, if I say the word mindful living to you, what does that mean in your world? It means a lot of different things, really. It's like a spider's web. There's so many aspects, I feel, to mindful living. Like, as I said before, like you have meditations, you have music, you have exercise, like me going for a walk at night by myself with a podcast. If it's raining, if it's snowing, it doesn't matter. You just wear the proper clothing. And the sense of peace you get from that after a hectic day is worth it. Again, I do. it's mainly physical stuff I do, but it's not for the physicality. It's not for the fitness benefits. It's for the mental benefit because I am a sporting person. So I often feel I need to move. So I do moving mindfulness, I suppose, because that's what I feel works for me. I'm not as keen on sitting down, doing meditation and relaxation. I prefer to be up slowly, going for a stroll without a sense of purpose or, uh, you know, trying to beat my time from the night before. It's just to, to relax, unwind. And that's really what mindful livingness is for me. It's, it's to try and build into your day different periods of time where you have well self-care I guess and for me that's the walking that's when I'm alone I put on podcasts and I might start cooking I love cooking because I had a strict diet for nine years on dialysis so now I can eat whatever I want and I indulge in that unapologetically but it's a very happy place for me is that it's cooking a big dinner with a podcast on in the background something positive proactive something to better myself I often speak about the difference between happiness and usefulness so many people strive to be happy and i don't think that's the correct barometer to aim at i strive to be useful because if you are a useful member of society it's only when you're not useful when you're sick or something like that you realize that you're a burden on other people Mm -hmm. suddenly when you do something proactive then you feel useful that's what makes me feel happy kind of seeing other people smiling after a talk trying people coming up saying well thank you so much you've been great it really helped me that's useful and that, for me, is what happiness is, like to, to kind of help serve other people. And the more people you serve and help, the happier you become. But happier, being happy is not the goal. Being useful is the goal. Happiness is a kind of positive side effect of that. So I'm going off on a tangent there, but mindful living, that's, that's me there. Yeah, it's, it's kind of things like that. It's cooking. It's every day I go for a walk with the two boys, you know, it's. And I, I think that's amazing. I've, I've talked to many guests about this and what yeah. I know is that everybody has their own definition of what it means to them as well. And I think that's very important to people to think because from people that have never tried mindfulness or never tried meditation, they might, they, their only image might be of that monk sitting in the orange robes and <laughs> um, away from everything. And that I want to try and let people see that it can mean many things to many people. And it's all about getting that, like you say, that self-care, that time for yourself, the time to pause and just looking around at what's important to you at that point. And um, I think you've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. And uh, I've, I've, we're coming to an end. And um, I just like, if anybody wants to 
get in contact with you um, about speaking or about just just to connect with you and maybe from from the kidney point of view as well and um, what's the best way to contact you well i have a web page darrencauley.com i'm also on linkedin linkedin uh, instagram facebook all the usual stuff under darren Cauley, uh, motivational speaker and educator i have spent the last year like i'm kind of again i'm proud of myself looking backwards because Lockdown has been over a year now of not working. But on the other hand, I, with a friend, luckily a guy set up what's called the Bodhi Academy here in Westport. And his goal is to try and help as many ordinary people as possible kind of become extraordinary, trying to help them in any way they can. And he heard me speaking and said, you should create an online course for your community. And my community, of course, is people with kidney disease. So in the last year, I've created a course called From Victimhood to Resilience, which looks at all the mental and emotional kind of aspects of living with a long term illness, because you leave the hospital with a physical illness that totally changes your life and you're alone. Like my life was turned upside down and I didn't really have anyone to turn to. So I'm trying to fill that hole for other people, try and help as many people as possible in that regard. So. Anyone that has any advice or guidance on that, I love to hear them, love to share experiences. And obviously you can get in contact with me, And Yeah, and what I'll do is I'll put all those details on the show notes page as well. So if anyone does want to connect with you afterwards, we'll have all those details there. Brilliant. But for now, Darren Cawley, thank you so much for being on the Mindful Living Guide. Stephen, thanks yourself. You're doing a fantastic job. And I love your podcast because... Again, it's not about the people. It's all the lessons. It's all the little bits of information. Each each kind of podcast has loads of tidbits. You'll see in my book, little quotes written down from the different people. So keep up the great work. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So there you have the episode with Darren. I think you'll agree it was just a great conversation. And Darren just shows how when something happens in our life, we can kind of lose our identity and who we are but through small consistent little practices like the affirmations he talked about we can regain a new sense of worth and what he calls being useful i think it's a, a lot of lessons to be learned in this episode and i really really hope you enjoyed it um, as i said at the start if you can join us this sunday on insight timer app i would love to have you there and if you look up insight timer forward slash stephen downey you'll see a link to my live uh, coming up soon. So thank you again. And I really hope that you can share this episode to anyone who you, you might think might enjoy it and might get something from it. So uh, as always, I'm your host, Stephen Downey, and this has been the Mindful Living Guide. <laughs>